and hello to all of my fellow liberty-loving Americans all across the fruited plains from sea to shining sea. This is the host who loves you the most, Luke Throop here on another wild, wise sort of Wednesday for Torch Report 541. How strategic interaction can pry power away from the corrupt ruling class. Friends, when, when leaders betray their people so blatantly, so brazenly, there are really limited options for regaining control, reclaiming the reins of representative government and all that, as we're going to get into today. It's really, it's about moves and counter moves, moves and counter moves. So today, we awaken to the news that Republicans have once again sided with Democrats to protect the utterly disgraced Alejandro Mayorkas from uh, being impeached, right? Mayorkas is uh, head of DHS, Department of Homeland Security. He's overseeing the open facilitation of the Southern invasion. Republicans and the American people would like to impeach him and put somebody in there who will protect our southern border. But no, no, Republicans have sided with Democrats again. Also in the news this morning, Nikki Haley's comical defeat by none of the above candidates. Donald Trump wasn't even on the ballot, excuse me, uh, on the primary ballot in Nevada, but she got trounced. She got trumped uh, in Nevada without Trump even having to run. So she's a a miserable disgrace and a failure. She should go home in shame, but she probably won't because she's being propped up by the deep state. Now, another reassuring announcement out this morning was that Trump's good friend, Ronna McDaniel, is officially resigning as the head of the Republican National Committee, along with the RNC chief of staff, Mr. Mike Reed. So clearly, there is a shakeup right now on the conservative side of the political spectrum. There is dissension in the ranks, right? I mean, and, and who can, I mean, who can, uh, it's no mystery, really, I guess. Who can wonder why, right? The party bosses want to prop up a deep state Trojan horse, Miss Nikki Haley, a.k.a. Dick Cheney in three-inch heels, but the vote- voters are having none of it. Meanwhile, the voters want to get rid of the deep state commie hacks who are viciously undermining our Constitution and our national security. But the party bosses are having none of it. And right now, the result appears to be somewhat of a stalemate, hence the change in leadership. And I would say... Barring any major breakthroughs, I wouldn't expect much to change at the national level just yet. Though, let's not lose hope, you know. The the reality I think we need to face, and I want to just kind of confront head-on today, is that as conservatives, uh, we, have to, we have to deal with the fact that the Republican bosses have been spending donations on floral arrangement, arrangements and office supplies and limousines, while the DNC, the Democrats, are pouring their war chest into novel projects like the voter file maintenance. Hmm. Get out the vote texting campaigns and, of course, supporting their local parties at the state level. So you look at what's happening right now, and it really does seem like the Republican national leadership is is dead set on losing, perhaps because they don't want Trump to be in the office. At any rate, is it really any wonder that the Democrats keep winning in the ground game. You know, is there is there really any mystery as to why voters feel so disenfranchised with the D- Republican Party? But more importantly, friends, let me ask you, is there any hope 
of salvaging the putrid carcass of our once admirable and honorable political institutions? It's an honest question. Is there any hope? I mean, it's putrid. You got to plug your nose. It's nasty what's going on. But is there any hope of salvaging this carcass of of the political uh, institution? Now, last night, I had the honor of discussing this exact issue with a group of fellow concerned citizens. And the general sense of the majority in the, in the conversation was that our political institutions have been so poisoned and corrupted, they are really beyond repair at this point. The rot and the decay, the lies and the deceit, the towing of the line, the status quo, the doing the bidding of the deep state, all of that, really, these are telltale signs that America's political class has no intentions of making a course correction. Now, the result of that, again, just looking and being honest about it, you look at it, you think, gosh, you know, I just don't know. Maybe there is no hope. You know, the result is the sense that there's nothing that we can do to fight back against the political machinery that's being used to extract donations and votes from conservative voters, all the while steamrolling them on policy preference and candidate choice. It's as if the National Party bosses are running the show and they don't give a damn what the peasants think. Okay, It, it should go without saying, but I want to make it clear, this is a recipe for disaster. If we play this out and people believe that we can't fight back and there's nothing we can do, then liberty will lose. And lose bad, lose big, lose hugely. And maybe even lose forever. Now, I've made the point before that the left likes to move in lockstep while the right kind of gets disjointed over all these petty issues. It's not that there's no division on the political left. I mean, there's plenty of division on the left side, but it's that they're more inclined to fall in line and vote for old Joe or whoever the hell the party props up because the left is better conditioned to doing what they're told, if that makes sense. Now, on the right side there tends to be more of a rebellious streak, more independent thinkers and that sort of thing, more of a willingness to just flip the bird to the party bosses and walk away. It's as if to say, screw you, I'm taking my vote and I'm going home. I'm done supporting all of this BS and I'm not buying into it. Now, I feel you. I resonate. I sympathize. I empathize. But woe to those, woe to those who do that, who say, screw you, I'm taking my vote and going home. Woe to those who do because that's exactly what they want you to do. No, friends, as I was articulating last night, if, if we intend to stand and fight as, as a people to fight for the uh, preservation of liberty, the blessings of liberty for future generations, if we want to fight to get our country back and back on track, we absolutely must not, we must not disengage in our moments of disenchantment. We must press into the political process. Uh, We must become more civically engaged. And we need to convince our neighbors to do the same. You know, not, not only is this the most practical thing that we can do, it's the most practical action we can take. It's also the most tactical maneuver we can make as well. This is how we build strong communities and make sure we have solid local leadership. Now, on the uh, on the Torture Report Week in the Review, the Sunday radio show, 
I was sharing a speech from Teddy Roosevelt. It's The Duties of American Citizenship. And I want to share just a little excerpt from this famous speech, The Duties of American Citizenship, written back in 1883, 141 years ago. Teddy Roosevelt says, and I quote, The people who say that they have not time to attend to politics are simply saying that they are unfit to live in a free community. Their place is under despotism. The first duty of an American citizen then is that he shall work in politics, period, end quote. If you think you don't have time to attend to politics, that's really just saying I'm unfit to to live in a free community and my place is under despotism. Now, that's not my opinion. That's the opinion of one of the most influential presidents in American history, Mr. Teddy Roosevelt. The first duty of an American citizen is that we engage in politics, Now, if we just take that to heart, chew on it, might not like it, but it's real. It's because if we don't get engaged in politics, then we end up, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, lunatics running the crazy house. So take this mentality, this duty of American citizenship to engage in politics, and we apply this mentality to the current political circus, if you will. And what we see, uh, if we want to see changes in how our community is being run or how our county is being run or how our country is being run, if we want to see those changes, we need to be the change. We need to uh, at least, at the very least, help facilitate it. You know, uh, running for office, that's not for everybody, but volunteering perhaps or or, or financially supporting a candidate, uh, maybe that's more up your alley. Or maybe it's just talking with your neighbor about, Things that are getting voted on right now. All of these are very productive ways of having, uh, you know, political impact, local political engagement. Despite the fact that it's rather unglamorous, right? It's not. I mean, it's nothing fancy. I mean, I. I mean, I'm not. I'm just supporting the people who are out there in this political game. But, you know, when we think it through, regarding you think about the entrenched party apparatus. Right. Like the like the Republicans siding with the Democrats not to impeach Mayorkas. It seems like the party apparatus is thwarting the will of the American people at every turn. But this, too, can be overcome by direct personal engagement. But only if it's not if if I go out and engage. Well, that's I'm just one fuzzy peasant, you know. But if if 10 people go out and engage, if you can get, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 people to to work together, then, you know, you can have that impact. It's not just your personal engagement, but when there are enough people engaged in the process, we can win this thing. At the end of the day, The only way to win the games that are being played is to recruit more people to join us in the fight and then train them how to fight in a way that helps our side win. Friends, it is possible. We can win. I assure you, we must win. And believing anything different is just about as worthless as tits on a boar hog, as my mom likes to say. So while uh, I was bringing these points up in last night's conversation, One gentleman asked the rather sentient question. He says, well, who are we fighting against, really? You know, we want to recruit people to join us in the fight, but who are we fighting against? Who's the enemy here? Ooh, good question. The enemy, in my opinion, and what I shared last night, the enemy is an idea. The fact, in uh, in fact, I should say, in fact, the enemy is actually an entire army of ideas, right? The the idea that our votes don't matter, for example, that's an enemy idea. 
The idea that there is nothing that we can do to stop what's happening, that's an enemy idea. The idea that it's us versus them and then that means Republicans versus Democrats, that's an enemy idea. And similarly, you know, you can, you can play this out. There's lots of examples. The assumption that the state has supreme authority over our lives to mask us up, to track us and treat us like lab rats, you know, or the suggestion that being a good citizen means sitting down, shutting up, paying your taxes and just doing what you're told. These positions also represent enemy ideas. Global democracy, the seduction of socialism, the egregious myth of equality, these are also ideas that are the enemies of freedom. And when we, when we begin to think about it like this, what comes clear when we begin to identify the enemy in this way is that while we are undoubtedly fighting our enemies, these ideas on multiple fronts, these ideas, they inherently inhabit the minds of people that we meet throughout each day. Right. People, people in the local community, people in your circle of family and friends, people anywhere and everywhere people are at are carrying these infectious ideas around with them. And oftentimes they, they, they're carrying these ideas. They don't even realize they've been infected by these ideas. This is how memetics and mental warfare works really in real, real terms, like practically speaking, this is how it works. You know, propaganda promotes an infectious idea. That idea then gets passively accepted by people who are listening to CNN, for example, and then, it, and then it comes out in conversations. At just the right time, the idea crops up, you know, well, we got to save democracy or what have you. And, and ultimately, these infectious ideas come out in an effort to convert non-believers, to change people's minds, and to assimilate uh, free-thinking individuals into the collective hive mind, into the collective perspective. And this is why we've spent so much time discussing, this is why we need to be mindful of the military-grade memes that are being used against us. Again, I put the link in the report, Torch Report 515, DARPA unleashes military-grade memes on the American people. Go back and, and look at how this mimetic warfare, this mental warfare is being played. Understand the deep state, under, uh, they, they understand the strategies that and the, and the way this game is won. So when we consider the strategies of the enemy, namely to infect people with delusional ideas that are completely detached from reality, we must not lose sight of the fact that the people being infected are still human beings. The people standing in front of us are still human beings. The people we see in our communities are still human beings. It may seem like they become brainwashed, mindless drones, and of course many of them have, but underneath their hypnotic delusions is still a living, breathing human being. If we keep that in mind at all times, that underneath the delusions is a living, breathing human being, then we can, we can gain awareness of the various access points for meaningful conversation. When you stand there and talk to somebody, you can kind of get a feel for where they're at. There are, there are access points to meaningful conversation, and meaningful conversation is a crucial element of any winning strategy. It's absolutely critical that we have meaningful uh, conversations. Otherwise, we're going to lose, period. So, friends, it's impossible for us to compete with the algorithms and the censorship and the weaponized AI. But it is equally impossible for the machines to compete with direct human interaction. They can't stop us from interacting and being human. 
when, when that fact really sinks in, I think, when we internalize that reality, when we realize that it's only through direct human interaction that we can overcome the technological advantage being wielded by our overlords, when we realize that only through direct human interaction we can come face to face with our real enemies, then we realize this is the only way to win the war. Friends, the, the, the strategy holds true regardless of how this war plays out, mind you, okay? Hot conflict in a kinetic civil war, blood in the streets. The question is, who's got your back? Who do you trust? And where do those relations come from? The answer is direct interaction. What if cyber attacks take down the grid and all of, grid and all of society collapses? The question is, how do you keep yourself safe, your family safe and fed, you know? How do you prevent gangs of thugs from taking your stuff? Again, who's got your back? Who do you trust? And where do these relationships come from? The answer is direct interaction. Another stolen election and four more years of tyrannical mob rule? Ah, uh, the question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you just going to accept that the American dream is dead and gone? Are you just going to accept this Marxist communist cultural revolution? Are you just going to accept that you're going to have to live under despotism for the rest of your days? No! But if not, what the hell are you going to do about it? Regardless of what you decide to do, friends, you're not going to succeed, probably not going to succeed if you're trying to do it alone, right? There's uh, Enhance your chances of achieving success by recruiting some allies. You need some allies. Whether it's a firefight or a political death match, you need some allies. And best I can tell, the answer to any workable path forward is always the same. Direct personal interaction. Direct personal interaction is how we can gain traction. It's how we build alliances, how we recruit allies and win elections. It's how we build our community defense. It's how we overcome the algorithms and wrestle back power from the corrupt politicians and the elite ruling class. Direct personal interaction is how we plant the seeds of liberty. It's how we spark the flames of freedom, how we fan the flames of freedom, and how we inspire people to resist and resist. We must, we must rebel. Direct personal interaction is how we confront the lies, spread the truth, and fight for the hearts and minds of our fellow Americans. Friends, when you stand in front of someone, they feel your presence, right? That face-to-face, -face, that eye-to-eye that -eye contact, that 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 presence of another person. When you're standing in the presence of another person, when you speak your truth, when you speak with passion, they feel your conviction. Can you feel me? I know you can feel me. And that only happens through direct interaction. You know, and in this direct interaction, carefully chosen words are your most powerful weapon. Pa carefully chosen words can slice to the bone. They can disarm your opponent. They can neutralize a threat before it comes to blood and blows. Friends, if you fancy yourself a warrior, please consider this wisdom. If you're prepping for war in your mind, you know you must recruit warriors. The question is how? And again, the answer is through direct personal interaction. Are you sick? and tired of the political circus? Are you super tired of politics as usual? Do not lose sight of the enemy. We can win this war, friends. We can win this political game and win we must regardless of our path to victory. 
I believe that the strategy remains the same. We have to choose and to engage. It's through this direct, uh, direct personal interaction that we can uh, <laughs> save the world. <laughs> oh, friends. Anyway, we have to choose to engage, and that is my the message of my heart for today. I've got a meeting coming up. I got to jump off. So, thank you for uh, tuning in today. If you enjoy this podcast, please take the time to go to the website, thetorchreport.com. Find the heart, click the heart, give me some love, subscribe if you have not subscribed already. And of course, the greatest honor of all is if you share this podcast with everyone you know. Get out there and embrace this wild, whimsical Wednesday, friends, and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon.